Welcome to Around the Farm. I'm your host, Clint Schaffer, and today we're going to be speaking with Colin Rogers and Tyler Williams, who are both sustainable systems agronomists for Foreground by Bayer. And we're going to be covering everything about carbon credits and regenerative agriculture. Stay tuned. Tyler, Colin, uh, welcome to uh, welcome to the show here. So thanks for coming on. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, Clint. Well, hey, while I got you guys here, I wanted to talk about, you know, really just all the different practices around regenerative agriculture and also carbon credits. Uh, we hear a lot about that uh, nowadays. How does, a, how does a farmer really, you know, start getting started in all of this? Yeah, well, I can, I guess, uh, jump in there right away. And, and yeah, it's definitely a sort of like that newsworthy buzz type that, that goes around, right? Um, I think we've heard a lot about it in the last, few years, uh, especially in the carbon credit world and all the opportunities that exist. Um, but it, it, a lot of it still goes back to the, to the practices that a lot of the farmers have been doing for 60, 70, 80 years in some cases. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in the, the carbon credit side, but there's a, we, we, we tend to focus on the, the farm aspect and the infield aspect, the, the soil health benefits, all of that. And so really, you know, when, when Colin and I, when, you know, when we're, we're kind of dabble in this, this area a little bit, it's, it's all about the soil. It's all about how it helps the farm. All about some of those things that that growers have been doing. You know, no-till cover crops. Um, there's a lot of things that have changed since the 30s or 40s, whenever this started. Uh, you know, kind of the dirty 30s showed us we needed to do a little bit of something. University research kind of jumped in after that, and and here we are today. And so we have programs like this, programs like Foreground, Bayer Carbon, um, that all tap into the the practices that growers want to do on their farm bringing in the sort of the, the other, the other area of, of carbon credits as a, you know, kind of one of those ways to, to kind of join forces for the things that we know can be beneficial on the farm. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, changing these practices, I mean, if a farmer is going to, you know, jump in and, and start, you know, working towards this, do they have to, you know, really change their entire operation or is this really on a, on a field by field basis? Yeah, I can jump in on that. So, Clint, when we talk about farmers and uh, working with the Bear Carbon Program or any carbon program, for that matter, we like to encourage them uh, to dip their toe into the water, right? We don't want to see a lot of growers go out there and put themselves at a lot of financial risk by trying to convert over 14, 16, 2,000 acres at one time, right? We want to see a grower go out there, pick a field that's close to home. You know, maybe that field is right behind the, the equipment shed they can keep an eye on that entire year. Um, and work with us, work with agronomists such as Tyler and myself or the rest of the team and uh, come up with an action plan on how they can make, you know, these soil health practices pay for themselves through time. Well, you know, Colin, you, you talked about, you know, planning, right? And uh, we're, we're getting right into the end of the planning season. Harvest is, uh, is wrapping up in a lot of areas. What, what's a conversation with a farmer look like? What are some of those decisions that need to be made as, as they start thinking about, you know, going into the into the 2023 season? Sure. I would say it really depends on what the farmer's trying to gain from this, right? We don't want to see somebody necessarily hopping into, uh, you'll see some people refer to it as carbon farming, right? We don't want farmers to go into the business of farming carbon so much as we want to see them make smarter practices uh, for farm resiliency, Right. Um, and if for that farm, it might be erosion control, it could be, you know, better utilization of nitrogen and so forth. And that's where the conversation needs to start. You know, the grower needs to identify what goal are they trying to meet with their practice changes. And from there, they can start using things such as no-till or strip-till to, you know, improve soil health, or they can use cover crops to improve 
uh, soil erosion control or weed control and so forth. Uh, and once they identify those goals, we can start going line by line and figure out how to make these things work into their operation, as well as try to find ways that can improve their return on investment. Well, and, and is there a is there a good resource you know out there for them to understand? Hey, if if I'm going to do a, a new practice, if I'm going to start you know maybe bringing cover crops into my into my operation, uh, what is the you know the the revenue opportunity? I guess uh, is there a, is there a you know, an easy path for them to go and, and get some of that information? Yeah, I can jump in there. Um, you know, our, like our foreground by Bayer program, you know, we have a number of resources listed there as far as, you know, what Bayer Carbon, you know, is as one of those examples um, can offer, um, you know, kind of depending on your location, what you're looking at doing. Um, you know, so, so we provide all that in that on that foreground website. And so, it, you know, we're continually building out more revenue opportunities. That's kind of one of the big goals. And values of the foreground program is to tap into all of those potential revenue streams and resources that are out there because we know that beyond carbon credits there are opportunities for for sustainable ag regenerative ag and and what growers are doing and and that's the big key thing with with foreground is connecting those dots connecting to those opportunities and that and that's what a grower does if they come into foreground they, they can see their eligibility we'll keep adding more revenue stream opportunities where they can Again, see 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 what's available for them, what, what they might be interested, uh, you know, what what works for their operation. Well, one of the other things too, you know, that I was thinking of uh, around, you know, kind of changing some of these practices is just the the types of crops the the farmers are are planting. Is this really focused around corn and soybeans? Is it open to to other areas, other crops? So, uh, you know, what what, what uh, who's it all open to? Yeah, so um, so foreground is open to anyone. Um, that's kind of one of the nice things that we, you know, created this again. It's a it's a broad platform. It's a place for growers to come kind of no matter where they're at, what their crop rotation is, if they've been doing it forever or if they want to do it maybe in four or five years. Foreground is designed to kind of provide those benefits through, you know, agronomic support through Colin and I um, and other we have other agronomists as well. And, and, and then the benefits as far as discounts on different uh, equipment that might be relevant to what we're doing as well as those revenue streams, right? So those are, it's kind of the big broad picture. Um, for Bayer Carbon, the Bayer Carbon program, which is kind of our key focus right now as far as revenue stream, it's uh, corn, soybean, and wheat. Uh, those are the, uh, the the crops that are in your rotation. Um, you know, we're, they're all, we're always looking, right? We're always looking for other opportunities and expanding expanding beyond. And that's kind of one of those things that, you, you know, join foreground and find out when it happens. <laughs> No, absolutely. Well, I know you're all uh, you're all talking about uh, uh, cover crops as well, and I know that is just a a hot topic. A lot of farmers are are looking at you know moving into that cover crop space. Uh, Dad and I, uh, Dad ended up doing uh, thirty acres of cover crops uh, last year, the first time we've ever done that on our farm, and uh, we're going to be doing about eighty acres this uh, this upcoming year. Um, when we started looking into this, there's a lot that goes into to these cover crops. A lot of different options out there, whether it's rye or some other cocktail mix. How do you how do you determine what is the right cover crop for a for a farmer to jump into if they're if they're looking at uh, going that route? So I'll can take this one, uh, th and you really alluded to this, Clint, right? Like when it comes to cover crops, uh, it's complicated, right? And, and there's a lot, and the good thing is there's a lot of information out there, you know, aside from just information we ourselves as Bayer have provided, you know, University Extension, uh, the SARE, NRCS offices, 
Uh, they've done a lot of work on this over the years. You know, cover crops aren't exactly a new practice and farmers know this, right? And thankfully because of that, there's a lot of great resources. Uh, but when I talk with growers and I want them to kind of start to dip their toe into that water, right? Um, I want them to make sure that they're thinking about it the right way, right? Like you don't want to go in there and necessarily put a 10-way seed mix, the most expensive mix you might be able to find on the market across the whole farm, you know, only to find out later you don't know how to terminate it. Uh, what I like to see growers do is pick a small field, uh, start in soybeans, right? It's a perfect crop to start in. They're very resilient. Uh, they're very good to adapting uh, to mistakes that we may make in the learning process, right? So I like to see cereal rye go ahead of soybeans in the fall. And the main reason for that is it establishes very well, even if you get it on later into the season, you know, that late November when there's not a lot of heat left, cereal rye still tends to perform into the spring and give you some of those benefits. Uh, the second thing I really like about cereal rye is the cost of it, right? Like cereal rye, they're practically giving the stuff away versus other seed mixes. It's very uh, economically friendly to the farm. So if you're going to take a risk, right, go for the lowest cost. Um, and then the next thing, uh, like I said, soybeans are very resilient, but, you know, it's versus corn, it's okay to let that cereal rye get a little away from you, you know, that's where you start to see some of those benefits. Uh, if you're just strictly looking for erosion control, terminating it as soon as possible in the spring is great. Uh, but if you're looking for weed control, you know, reduced uh, pesticide costs and so forth, sometimes it's good to let that cereal rye grow a little bit and get 18 inches taller. So it's a great cover crop to play with for some of the ones that might be harder to terminate. Well, I know one of the one of the decisions we were trying to make uh, th this year was, you know, do you, do you terminate it and then plant into it? Do you, I think they call it a green plant, right? Of actually planting in when the, when the cereal rye is still alive. Um, what does that, uh, you know, what are some of the benefits, I guess, of doing either one of those different practices? This is, this is probably one of those things that me and Tyler will be divided on, right? The industry on the whole is divided. Uh, yeah. So from my perspective with growers, uh, you see benefits from both, right? Like we don't like to see cereal rye ahead of corn in particular because of the nitrogen tie up, right? And, and the taller it gets, the more nitrogen tie up you get, as well as when it's green, you have an increased chance of having what we refer to as a green bridge, right? A chance where there might be fall armyworm or spring armyworm hanging out in the field looking for the next crop to eat, right? Uh, so when it comes to soybeans, it can go either way. You can terminate early or you can go into it green and you won't really see any issues. The key is to not try to go into it when it's yellow, if you will, right? Don't go out there, spray it, and then go into there three days later when it's kind of gummy. Uh, that's when it wants to tangle up in your row cleaners and your row closers and make a mess of the field. Uh, so for me, it's either you want it to be brown and dead or green and living when you plan into it. You know, and, and I think we actually somewhat agree. I didn't know we were that close to agreeing on that. But, you know, I, I, I come from the weather resiliency world. And the more growth that we can have, the more we can capture just a couple extra weeks of growth in the in the spring. You you can just, you know, really enhance the amount of growth and the benefit you get. So it, it adds a little risk letting it go a little bit longer. But if you can push that envelope a bit and, and people do it, um, you'll really like, I think, the, the potential benefits that can come from that. You just you have to you have to really pay attention. We were incredibly happy with our cover crop results this year. Uh, it ended up uh, our 30 acres, which was on some pretty rough ground, uh, actually ended up out yielding the rest of the field. So, uh, so we were pretty, uh, pretty excited about that. But it was interesting to kind of track that through the year. We use, of course, Climate Field View on our farm, and we're using, you know, our, our field health images, right? And we're seeing that. And it was kind of interesting because it looked like 
uh, it was a little bit further behind, right, uh, from the from the rest of the field. But then, of course, come to find out, it uh, it actually ended up yielding better. How important is it to utilize you know systems like Climate Field View to try to track that throughout the year to to understand what's going on in that field? Yeah, you know, I you know the, the digital tools like Field View. I mean, I think can can open up a whole other dimension. I think can really add into a layer that you know that we really haven't been able to use. You know, between the data management. Um, just the amounts of information that we can gather, the things that you can see through the year that, you know, really can can show you some of those benefits along the way, you know, in, in addition to, to yield and what it shows on the combine. Um, but I think, you know, looking at what you learn, adding that into, you know, layers of information that you can add next year really, really is the is the new frontier for all of this. And And when we think about carbon credits and programs and things like that, it's a lot of it is runoff data and um, the ability to use field view is is really one of our key benefits that, um, you know, that kind of filters in a lot of that information that you might need if you want to if you want to go down that path. So it, it reduces the workload, which is always a, a good, good thing. Right. Um, but the potential for, you know, specific management, um, scripting, things like that, that that the future really holds with, um, you know, with, with that, that amount of information that, that we can pull in. Yeah, and I'll even add in that uh, to, to carry over what Tyler was saying, you know, managing data doesn't necessarily mean anything unless you have a way to visualize the reactions to your farming actions, right? So uh, FieldView allows growers to identify differences in a field as changes occur throughout the year, right? Now, whether that's through satellite imaging or if that's, you know, the following spring, the spring following a cover crop, say, uh, that might have delta downforce on the planter, right? Allows you to kind of see where those compaction areas might be. It allows you to evaluate, hey, are these new practices I'm taking on, no-till, strip-till, cover crops, are they really starting to change my field? And can I see that as I go, you know? So it's it's always important as a grower, especially when you have something as valuable as field view, to leave a check strip in your field, you know, give yourself that opportunity to see if anything's different and if you can pick that up in those images. Well, well, Colin, you you bring up a a good point too. Uh, you know, to to see that you know what's changing, right? What, how, how is this changing my field over time? Uh, if somebody enrolls a field into the carbon program, is that did those practices have to go year after year after year then, or is it on a year to year basis? Yeah. So, so our so our carbon program is sort of a kind of once you start, you uh, you make a transition into a certain pro- uh, practice you continue that practice year over year. That's kind of part of the, the longevity of, of that program. And, and you, can, you can learn a lot by doing that, right? You can learn a lot of those things. But, you know, one of the you know, key pillars of, you know, kind of the carbon sequestration piece is, is doing those practices and accumulating over time. And, and we know if you go in there until in year five, a lot of what you accumulated over the first five years can, can be gone. Um, so one of the key key things is is kind of that continuation of practice, keep going, you know. But we found, and Colin will probably attest to this, you know, kind of the first couple years of transitioning to cover crops or no-till are probably your most challenging. Your system's kind of trying to find its way, but once you get to that year three, four, even five, you know, most people don't want to go back, right? They want to keep going because they've already they've got through the the hard part. Uh, now they can kind of they reap the benefits and reap the rewards of that. So I, uh, you know. Again, it's it's a good thing for a carbon program to keep doing it, but I think it's also great for a farm to keep doing it. Yeah, so like a lot of growers we talk with will tell you, uh, 
that, and this is like you're more of your historic grower that have been doing it for a long time. They'll say that usually it's that third year. That's the year that they, they really want somebody to talk to, right? That they're like, man, this is the breaking point. You know, is it going to ever get better? Um, and cover crops play a lot into that as well. You know, cover crops can alleviate some of that early spring moisture that can kind of plague no-till farmers, right? And it can kind of help ease that transition as well as it might be able to add more nutrients to kind of uh, help on your bottom line. Uh, but I wanted to add to what Tyler said that even though we encourage growers to to full-heartedly be engaged throughout the program, like we want to see continuity. We also want to uh, to let people know is the bear program is flexible, right? We work with growers and we understand that some things come up through time, right? It might be that you need to tile a field. You find yourself with a little extra money at the end of the year. You've got a field with poor drainage. You want to tile it. We're okay with that. We have exceptions in place that a grower can just let us know of what's going on in that operation. We have that conversation and then we can just exclude that field for that year while they have to do a little dirt work, right? And then the next year following that, they can pick up right where they left off. Now, do, does anything else, uh, you know, kind of come into play? Uh, you know, I think of uh, Tyler, you're out in, uh, out in Nebraska. Is it any different with like around irrigation or, or things of that nature? So irrigation doesn't make much of a difference, but your location does. Um, there's a couple things that kind of come in play there. Um, you know, our, our program, we pay by practice. So it's a, it's a little different than some, some of the other programs out there. And, and again, we talked about some of the benefits of doing that. Um, but there's also a, additionality, which goes down this whole carbon credit path that you probably don't want me to go down. But uh, that's sort of a key piece of the ability to generate a credit is as long as the county isn't already adopting 50% of that practice. So if half your county is already doing no-till, you can't generate a credit uh, because they they consider that sort of the rest of the people are also going to also do that, right? So it has to be sort of a, a novel practice for your area. So out here in Nebraska, we're limited a little bit more than compared to where Colin is in Illinois, just based off, you know, a lot of folks out here have been doing no-till for, for quite a long time. Uh, so again, that, that sort of limits your uh, ability. Uh, but it's there's opportunities opportunities almost everywhere. Now, can you take that into a, into another step though, Tyler? So if I've been you know no tilling and I'm in a county that's you know over fifty percent no till, can I take the step to cover crops and then that would that would count? That also depends where you're at. So you know we just love the depends thing, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want that. But yeah, it is. It, it depends again. So it's based uh, the cover crop is again kind of based off additionality a little bit. It's also based on, you know, how much, uh, you know, carbon you can typically sequester. You know, as you get further north and further west, you get drier and colder. It's harder to more successfully grow a cover crop and, and sequester a ton of carbon. So you get limited the further north and the west you go in your cover crop availability. But, you know, again, areas like Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, where you can consistently grow cover crops and, go, and grow well, um, you know, there's, there's more of that opportunity there. Now, I, I believe one of you mentioned, uh, you know, just equipment, right? And uh, what equipment is involved if I'm going to, you know, start changing my practices. And one of them that kind of comes to my mind is I think a lot of folks think that they would have to, you know, maybe go back to a drill or have to go get a drill if they're going to go put cover crops in. Is that the only way to put in? Can you can you still put them in? You know, like, let's say if you have a 15-inch planter, uh, can you still plant them with that? Or what other options are there? Oh, Clint, cover crops are the Wild West, all right? So they really are, and there's no cover crop sheriff out there, unfortunately. So uh, at least with our program, we don't really mind how cover crops get put on the field. Uh, 
and, and you already said it, like some of the more successful ways that we've seen it, there's a lot of rising uh, literature on this is trying to use interplant planters, right? And plant cover crops on 15s. And for Bayer, we're okay with that. Like all we're looking for is for farmers to start considering these things, start moving the needle in the right direction. And as things become more successful, they're going to, you know, as a grower, you're going to want to be uh, more successful through doing it, right? And that might be improving your rates. It might be better seed establishment. Uh, but a great, really low cost way that a lot of growers have been doing is spreading cover crop seed at the same time that they spread their dry fertilizer. Oh. Now, that takes a little coordination with your local co-op, right? Your local retailer. Uh, and it takes a lot of uh, effort to get your crop out early enough to have a successful stand. But if you're already going across the field and paying for that spreader, why not throw some seed in with the mix at the same time, right? Then your application cost is essentially free. Well, you know, it, it was it was pretty fascinating when we started getting into this. Uh, my friend uh, John Ullerking, actually out in uh, out in Nebraska, kind of got us uh, got us started in this whole uh, whole endeavor. Uh, but it was interesting because we wanted to see the next year. You know, how are we going to basically get seed and and who is going to maybe plant it for us and things of that nature. And it was funny because once you kind of get into the community. Uh, you start finding out that a, a lot of folks are coming together and really talking about this and, and really help out with some of those resources. Uh, and for us, we ended up actually finding somebody that's about uh, 10 miles away from our farm who sells cover crop seed, who will come and, and custom uh, plant it for you and everything else. Uh, but I, I was really shocked at just the amount of community, I guess, that's out there within the, the cover crop space. And if you, and if you ran into John, then, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, you still tried it if you got advice from but No, I'm just kidding, because he'll probably watch this, but I don't know, I probably shouldn't say it. Uh, no, but the, but the, and the creativity amongst that community is, is great. I was, people come up with some really cool things because, you know, like, you know, equipment is one of those challenges. Labor is one of those challenges. Um, people come up with neat ways to, to get their cover crops on at, at cool times that don't, don't break the bank necessarily. And so, again, the, the learning from each other, that's one of the cool things that we have. You know, we're bringing in lots of growers. Uh, the more events and things we have, the what people can connect and interact and learn a little bit. Because you don't want to listen to me. You might want to listen to Colin, but you don't want to listen to me very long. Uh, but but you can learn a lot from each other. And I think that's one of the cool things. I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see, you know, like where the future goes with this, right? Because I think about other technologies, you know, the Bayer's coming out with, with, uh, you know, short stature corn within their smart corn system. Uh, and will that allow somebody to go out? You talked about a spreader. Uh, and be able to to plant cover crop with the with with corn still growing in the field, right? Uh, and I think that there's going to be a lot of neat things like that that we're going to see in the future that uh, that could possibly really impact this side of the business. No, you're you're absolutely right, Clint. And we we are looking into those trials with uh, the smart corn system in particular. Uh, but I also want to put out there that you can already do that with your corn now. You know, there's a a lot of people pioneering that, and they'll put their cover crop on with a side dress application at V5. And they'll let it grow all season underneath that canopy. And then they, they glean that corn off and boom, cover crops there. It's growing, it's thriving. Uh, so like you said, it's a community and uh, a lot of people do some really cool things and are willing to share their successes with other growers. Well, and, and I think uh, I think it was my, my buddy John there that said, you know, like the whole goal is to keep keep that field as green for as many days out of the year as you can, right? And uh, and I just thought that was a really neat way of looking at it. Of uh, everything that you go to do, how can we keep that keep that green? Yeah, I think it's the the legend Paul Yasa, you know, in Nebraska said, you know, if you don't put something there, Mother Nature will. So 
uh, we can control that a little bit, right? No, absolutely. Well, guys, this is just an incredibly exciting, uh, you know, space here. I mean, you, you talked about it, guys are, you know, really just starting to kind of find some of these, you know, different tactics and, and things of that nature. I'm really excited to see where this space goes. Uh, I know you talked about going out on the on the foreground website. What are some other places that uh, that folks can go uh, get some resources and, and just get uh, get some help uh, navigating this new space? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot out there, right? You know, again, this isn't new. Um, you know, Colin mentioned the university resources, you know, your extension service, your extension uh, department, you know, and, and close to you. They're, they're a really good resource. They've been doing this for a long time. They, they're around your area. That's also, also a great way to, to kind of pick up on some of the research in your area. Um, we'll connect a lot of those within, you know, we have resources within Bayer Foreground uh, that can connect you to that as well. But there, there's a lot of good places out there. You, you look close to home and, um, you know, can, can point you in the right direction. Yeah, and I'll add to what Tyler said. You know, our, our agronomist team is here to obviously support growers. Uh, but aside the Foreground program, uh, I, about half of our agronomy team actually comes from uh, NRCS backgrounds. Uh, Zach Larson, who's out on the East Coast, actually put together one of the cover crop tools for farmers to use to find better selections on their farm. So we have this expertise and uh, we're just looking for people to talk to. Well, that is great to hear, guys. Uh, I also have to ask... Now, this is just, you know, a, a really incredibly important uh, question here, you know, that I like to ask different folks. But uh, is it grain cart or is it auger wagon in your neck of the woods? Auger wagon. It's a grain <laughs> cart for me. Tyler, you and I just became best friends right there. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I appreciate you, you know, just coming over here, uh, jumping on the show here and uh, having an awesome conversation around uh, foreground and the and the Bayer Carbon Program and uh, a lot about cover crops here. So uh, thanks, guys. Hey, yeah, you bet. Anytime. Thank you, Clint. Hey, a big thanks to Colin and Tyler for joining us here today to talk about regenerative agriculture. That was a wonderful conversation. Also, thanks to you, the listener. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend or two. And also, as always, Around the Farm is brought to you by Climate Field View, and we're available wherever you listen to podcasts at. And until next time, we'll see you around the farm. <laughs> <laughs>